The Fox and the Hound, 1981. After a delayed and problematic production, Disney enters the 80s with The Fox and the Hound, showcasing work from several talented animators that will become vital to the studio for decades to come. Despite a slow and unrefined story at the core of Fox and the Hound, a new visual style is beginning to arrive ahead of the Renaissance as the staff finally discovers the next step in the evolution that was kickstarted in the 50s, largely leaving the sketchy nature of Reitherman's direction behind. Fox and the Hound is a mediocre film, but between the visuals becoming realized on the screen and the younger staff becoming seasoned, it becomes an incredibly pivotal film for the studio. Despite the departure of Don Bluth mid-production, his influence is seen in the design of the human characters, true to his desire to return to Disney's roots planted in the 50s. And this is not only in the scenes he animated, but built into the unified house style that continues into the 90s. Many animators on this film go on to direct great animation. John Lasseter of Toy Story and Brad Bird of The Incredibles both work prominently with Pixar, and Tim Burton and Henry Selleck work on stop motion with Disney in the future. Mark Dindle directs for the studio in the 2000s, John Musker and Ron Clements are vital to the Renaissance, Mike Gabriel animates and directs across the Renaissance, Glenn Keane is an invaluable animator for the studio, and Chris Buck co-directs the colossal Frozen. The story of the film centers a young fox named Todd, who is abandoned near a farmhouse when his mother was hunted. He is taken in by Widow Tweed, who raises him, and next door is a hunter who recently adopted a young bloodhound named Copper. The two become friends despite the tension caused by the hunter, Amos, and his older dog, Chief, wanting to hunt Todd. The earlier acts of their youth are slow burns, demonstrating their personalities, but not a significant amount of time is spent on them interacting. Todd learns from the other friendly animals that live near him that Copper will go away and learn to be a full-fledged hunting dog, and their friendship will go away. The performances of the younger Todd and Copper are charming and succeed for the short time they are needed on screen, even if they are not incredibly distinct from each other in their raspy tones. Todd is chased by Chief in one slapstick sequence that, alongside some of the Birdside characters, feels out of place with the film overall. The Disney formula to inject levity with side characters or asides like this is particularly rote ahead of the Renaissance, at its worst in the Aristocats. But these characters, their motivation, and the tone of the sequence feel incongruent with the serious tone this film strives for, even in the first act with the younger characters. The most effective portion of the film is the silent winter coming-of-age arc that Copper gets with Amos and Chief, showing his growth and skill that makes him invaluable as a hunting dog. The decision to leave this section without dialogue allows the studio to use compelling visual storytelling, to the greatest extent they have in a while, however small a portion of the film it may be. The score of the picture is also great, and it shines in this segment where it gets more focus. When Copper returns, Todd is excited to see him again, but their dynamic has changed. In attempting to spend time with him, he gets chased by Chief again, but in contrast to the hyperactive slapstick from the first act, the tone is adequately dire. Copper, now given a great performance by Kurt Russell, lets him go but states this is the last time he can do this. However, before leaving safely, Chief catches Todd again and is hit by a train, taking a brutal hit and falling down a cliff. Despite this being toned down from a fatal fall to Chief simply having a broken leg to the dismay of some studio staff, this motivates Copper to catch Todd who must flee into the woods. Todd's experience in the woods follows the same threads as the Bongo short from Fun and Fancy Free, in that he is not well adapted for living in the wild and the sequences are centered around him suddenly being taken with a female fox. This section of the film is certainly stronger than the Bongo short, and the vocal performances from Mickey Rooney as Todd and Sandy Duncan as Vixie are a large reason why. The two have a fun chemistry, even if the script struggles and attempts to show Todd's immaturity. Amos and Copper track Todd into the woods and try and catch both foxes and chase them until confronted by a large bear, animated with monstrous detail and menace by way of Monstro. Todd saves them, and afterwards Copper stands in the way of Amos's gun, who decides to spare him. Todd lives on in the woods with Vixie and looks over Copper's home as the film ends. 
While story decisions leave Fox and the Hound marginally underwhelming, it is a clear visual stepping stone where the younger animators are coming into their own and establishing the new studio house style as the old guard retires. Despite Bluth's defection in mid-production, the film comes together and makes solid box office returns, keeping the studio afloat a while longer. Long enough for new creative leads to take hold of Disney Animation and Disney as a whole. Next up, The Black Cauldron, 1985. Please go to ghostofjoe.com to see all these essays. You can also find a link to this one directly in the show notes of this upload. And there you will find in-text citations and works cited. And share it with anyone who you think cares a lot about Disney animation. You can also find myself on Twitter at ghostofjoe, ghostofjo. The music used in this audio version is from The Skeleton Dance, a Disney Silly Symphony short. Thank you for listening and reading.